0: Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, welcome to all of you here at Central Campus, also those of you who are joining us online, and those of you who are meeting at one of our regional campuses in Airdrie, in Bridgeland, in South Calgary, and also at the Crowfoot Theatres in Northwest Calgary. We're in a series that we're calling Christianity 101 which focuses on the foundations of our faith or what it is um, that we believe as Christians and presently we're examining what the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit and today I want to talk to you about what it means to walk in the Spirit but before we get into it would you stand with me as we dedicate our time to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you and praise you again for not only creating us, but Lord, revealing yourself to us, revealing yourself to us through the written word, the scriptures, and also for revealing yourself through the living word, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I just want to ask, oh God, that that you would now uh, reveal in a special way, teach us, oh God, about the third member of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, how we can enter into a relationship with him, into what what it means to walk with him. We ask that you would focus our minds, you would soften our hearts, you'd give us the courage to respond in whatever way you'd have us to. We pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Well, a while ago, uh, someone sent me a little humorous article entitled, Innovative Ways to Get Rid of Telemarketers. Lots of suggestions, but one suggestion they had was to tell the telemarker that you're busy, but if he'll give you their phone number, you'll call him back. Now, if he says, and he probably will, that he's not allowed to give out their number, then ask for his home phone number. Tell him you'll be sure to call him there. And if he says, well, you know, I really don't want to get a call at home, say, yeah, I know exactly how you feel. (laughs) Have a good day. Now, I share that with you mostly for fun, but have you ever caught yourself being rude or irritable when interrupted by a stranger who's trying to sell you something on the phone? Or how about being inconsiderate with a waitress or a store clerk? I can relate to all of that. There are times I can totally relate to the Apostle Paul when he says in Romans 7, 15, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. And what I hate, that I do. Now in my conversation with many of you, I know that you too can identify with the battle that Paul is referring to here. You're a Christ follower. And yet there are times you struggle with anger or pride. There are times you battle jealousy or impurity. Or you're regularly incapacitated by a fear of failure or an incessant insecurity that you just don't measure up and it's killing Your joy, squeezing peace out of your life. You know the trophies, the applause of people, and all of the symbols of success are fleeting. You know they will pass away, but you still find yourself obsessed with trying to attain them, often at the expense of your relationship with God, with your spouse. And your family how do you deal with this incongruity between what we believe to be true and how we live our lives sometimes I want you to turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 Galatians 5 verse 16 so I say live by the Spirit and you will not gratify The Apostle Paul says the key to living in victory is the Spirit-filled life. It is walking in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. Now, when Jesus was on earth, he was filled with the Spirit. Yes, he is fully God, but during his time on earth, he put aside his divine attributes and he lived fully as a human. And so we read in Acts 10.38 that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Like us, Jesus relied on the Spirit for everything that He did. The life that He lived, the miracles, the healings, the deliverances that He performed were all done in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that same Holy Spirit is in you and me, in every Christ follower. You see, we must understand that God is not up there somewhere in the distance watching to see how well we're keeping his commandments, patting us on the back when we are good and punting us in the doghouse when we fail. No, God is giving us himself. To live the life of Christ through us in the person of the Holy Spirit. To the extent that we cultivate a close relationship with the Holy Spirit is the extent to which our character and our attitudes and behavior will begin to resemble that of Jesus Christ. In essence, what Paul is saying, walking in the Spirit is to live each day as if Jesus were right by your side. So if the key to victorious Christian living is found in walking in the Spirit, what does that mean practically on a day-to-day basis? That's what we want to focus in in the time remaining. To begin with, to walk in the Spirit is to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If you want to walk in the fullness of the Spirit, you need to be all in with Jesus. In Mark 10 we read a story of a young man who was living the good life, who had what others could only imagine having, and yet he was miserable. So miserable that he sought out Jesus for help. He asked Jesus what he needed to do to inherit eternal life, and Jesus reminded him of the commandments, and the young man replied that he had kept them all. Now Jesus didn't challenge him on his answer And so we might conclude that here was a young man who not only had lots of money and all the things that money could buy, but he was actually a nice guy too. He didn't mistreat people. He wasn't unfaithful to his wife. He was a person of integrity. He honored his father and mother, and he loved his neighbor as himself. He not only lived the good life, but he was a good person. So what... Could he possibly be missing? Well, in verse 21, it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Jesus exposes the young man's heart and he essentially says you've kept all the commandments save one The first and the most important commandment There is a God in your life that you're putting ahead of me If you want to inherit eternal life, then you can't have other gods before me Not your money Not a relationship, not your position, not your desire to live the good life, or your need to be successful or in control. Not that having money or a high-profile position or fame is bad in and of itself, but Jesus says if you can't hold those things with an open hand, then they are not your means of support but your God. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve two gods at the same time. You can't serve two different kings of two different kingdoms at the same time. It can't be done. Trying to serve both leads to spiritual bondage, it leads to frustration, to a harried and a hurried life, it fills your life with anxiety and fear and robs you of joy and peace and a whole lot of sleep. In James 1.8, the Apostle James described it this way. He said, a double-minded person is unstable in all that they do. More than once, the message that Jesus emphasizes is if you want all of me, if you want to experience all I have for you, if you want to see my power at work and unleashed in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit, then I need to have all of you. Well, when the rich young ruler heard this, verse 22 says, his face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now Mark Batterson says, if you feel bad for this rich young ruler, it shouldn't be because of what Jesus asked him to give up because all he asked him to give up was the temporary things. You shouldn't feel bad because of what Jesus asked him to give up. It should be because of the opportunity that he passed up. Jesus not only offered him eternal life, but he basically said to him, young man, if you'll release your grip on what you think is the good life, which really isn't, but if you'll release your grip on the good life, if you will stop worshiping and trusting in those things that you're counting on to give you status and admiration and security, and the accolades of others, if you'll release that and instead put your trust in me and follow me, I will show you how to live the greatest life possible. He was offering the rich young ruler a chance to have it all. To learn from Jesus how to experience the truly good life here on earth but also to live forever with him for all eternity. And friends, Jesus extends the same offer to you and to me. He offers us himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. He wants to guide us, protect us, empower us, transform us into the image of Jesus, but he can only do those things if we humble ourselves and put our lives into his hands. Walking in the Spirit begins here with surrendering your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Furthermore, walking in the Spirit is the daily ask to be filled with the Spirit of Christ. In Ephesians 5.18 it says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, Instead, be filled with the Spirit. The tense of this verse is in the present imperative, which means we are to continually be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is to submit to the control of the Holy Spirit. It's in the same way that a person who is drunk is under the control of alcohol. Or a person who's filled with fear is being controlled by fear. You see, when we sin, when we go our way, when we disobey God, we grieve the Holy Spirit who is in us and we diminish his influence and his fullness in our lives. In other words, we begin to leak. And so, in order to live in victory on a daily basis, it's important we begin each day surrendering our lives to the Lord anew. And asking him to fill us with his Holy Spirit. And so when you wake up in the morning, let God be the first one on your mind. Say hi to him first. Say to him, Lord, here I am. My hands are open to you. Please forgive me. Cleanse me from from anything that would hinder you from living out the life of Christ through me today. Take my life and use it for your glory today. Guide me, empower me to do your will. Speak to me. I'm listening. And then as you step out into your day, believe that God will do what you have asked of him. As you go through your day, believe that the Holy Spirit of God is is actually living out the life of Jesus through you. As you talk with family members or or with people at work or school or complete strangers. Trust the Holy Spirit is working through your words and through your life. He's doing things supernaturally in and through you that you could never pull off in your own strength. When you're working at your desk, have the faith that the Lord is answering your prayer for wisdom And guidance that day. Walking in the Spirit is exercising faith that God will do as he has promised. Faith is not some mystical power, it's not something we we drum up in ourselves. No, faith is trusting God will do what he's promised. See, our role in the faith adventure is to step out and to do what we can do. Making decisions, handling crisis, raising our families, dealing with temptation, believing that God is faithful and is going to do what we can't do because we have asked him. Thirdly, walking in the Spirit is to have the mind of Christ. There's an important relationship between our thinking and our ability to follow the Spirit. The Apostle Paul described it this way in Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. See how often the word mind comes up in that passage? As a man thinketh, so is he. What Paul's saying here is is that the way we live our lives is linked to what's going on in our minds, what we're exposing our minds to. John Ortberg says, one of the greatest illusions today is this idea that I can form a Christ-like character, but let my mind feed On whatever junk comes along. Well folks, you can't. The human mind is shaped by what it's consistently exposed to, and you and I are no exception to this rule. Our minds are consistently being bombarded by messages through the internet, radio, television, magazines, books, movies, music as well as the views, the opinions, and the convictions of other people that we interact with. We may, not, we may be oblivious to many of these messages and conclude that, you know, they don't really affect us. But the fact is, they do shape our minds and our thinking over time, in a very subtle way. And some of these messages are true, they are healthy, And they lead us in the right direction. But some of them are false. They are outright lies. And in some cases, they're toxic. And they can erode our convictions. They can erode our values and lead us away from God. Lead us away from humility and a servant heart. And lead us into discouragement and and into an unhealthy fear and into embracing an unbiblical view of success and into being preoccupied with our needs and our wants and our rights rather than our calling from God John 8.32 says you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free now, folks, if the truth sets you free, then what does falsehood do? It puts you in bondage. And so if you continue to struggle finding true freedom and victory in a certain area of your life, if you're facing, for example, debilitating fear or anxiety in your life, then it is highly likely that there is a lie. There is a, um, an untruth that you're embracing in some area of your life. That you need to renounce in the name of Jesus. Now every single sinful act is committed twice, once in our minds and once in our behaviors. And so if we want to win the battle of wrong behavior, then we must first win the battle that's going on in our minds The person who is walking in the Spirit is sensitive to any thought that conflicts with the truth. Anything that is not true is not of the Spirit. Colossians 3.2 says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. The person who walks in the Spirit becomes increasingly aware of how their heart is being affected by what's going on around them. Their circumstances, the messages that they're being bombarded with. What it is that's drawing them closer to the Lord and what it is that's actually tempting them to move away from the Lord. And Paul isn't playing games here. I mean, if we want, he's basically saying, if you want to live a victorious Christian life, then you need to be serious about what you're exposing your mind to. I mean, look at the aggressive language he uses in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now the word pretense means make-believe, fiction. To dream, to imagine, or fantasize. And interestingly, the ability to imagine or to dream is a gift from God. I mean, the world's best inventions, if you think about it, were created first in someone's mind. It's a wonderful gift. But like most of God's gifts to man, the ability to imagine is often the very thing that has the potential to mess up our fellowship with the Holy Spirit. For example, to imagine yourself being happy and fulfilled in a relationship with another man's wife may feel real good. The fantasy may be wonderfully played out in your mind, but it is to dwell on a lie. or to envision a scenario in which you fail miserably. And as a result, suffer the ridicule and the scorn of other people to play that over in your mind again and again and again, as you contemplate taking on a new project or a new job or whatever the case might be. And you have this fear of failure just swirling around in your mind. Folks, that is to be controlled by fear rather than by faith in God and what he can do. And therefore, you're being deceived and being controlled by the enemy, which is sin, because the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six 6, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Paul says here, the battle needs to be won in your mind. When a deceitful, destructive, or immoral thought comes to your mind, don't entertain it. Don't fantasize or dream about it. No, take it captive. Put it in prison. Demolish it in obedience to Christ. See it for what it is. It's a lie. It's capable of putting you in spiritual bondage, robbing you of peace and joy. Have nothing to do with it. Instead, renounce it in the name of Jesus. And the words of Philippians 4.8, step on, move on to focus on that which is true and honorable and right and pure and admirable, excellent and praiseworthy. Now, I should point out, while we do have a lot of control about what we see and about what we hear, we have little control over thoughts that sort of pop into our minds. Evil thoughts are not sin. Sin is grabbing hold of those thoughts, those evil thoughts, and dwelling on them. To walk in the Spirit is to take those thoughts captive and then to flush them. In the name of Jesus. Now the good news is, we are not alone in this. If we're walking in the Spirit. While the sinful nature within us is always desiring to go its way, the Holy Spirit is always there desiring to go His way. And as you walk in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will serve as a spiritual filter in your life. And he will help you develop the mind of Christ. You may be tempted to give in to anger, to impatience, to fear, but the Holy Spirit of God will whisper, uh-uh, we're not going that way. Let me remind you about what's at the end of the road of that way. Don't go there. No, no. We're, we're going this way. Now, he won't override your will. He won't force you to follow him. But he will help you to discern the lies and to point you to the truth. And then finally, walking in the Spirit is being on mission with Christ. You know, it's important that we guard our thoughts. And with the help of the Holy Spirit to filter out the garbage that we are exposed to. However, another reason why we often do not live in victory is because we tend to focus too much on all the things that we should not do rather than being engaged in the things that Christ has called us to. For example, can you remember a time when you were totally engrossed in a special project of some kind? Maybe it was building a model airplane or painting a portrait or writing a song, building a cabinet or landscaping your backyard. Whatever it was, you were extremely passionate about You were engrossed in it. I remember when I was around 19 years old, my, my dad was building a show home and, and sort of as a final test of all the years that I'd been kind of working with him in construction, as this final test before I went off to college, he commissioned me to to do all the woodwork for that particular show home from framing right through to the kitchen cabinets. I was so pumped about that project that on a regular basis, I'd forget to eat. I'd work into the evenings. I'd forget about, hey, you know what? Probably need to get home now. I went to bed with what I did that day in my mind and I would get up in the morning thinking about what I was going to do that day, the next project I was taking on. Can you remember being so engrossed in a project like that? Well, if you can, let me ask you, while you were in the middle of that project, to what extent was falling into sin a problem for you? Some of you love sports. Let me ask you, when you're in the middle of a basketball game or a golf game or a hockey game, How much do you struggle with sexual temptation? I don't know about you, but when I'm playing hockey, about the only thing I'm struggling with is for more oxygen. (laughs) Now, make no mistake, I'm tempted like everyone else. But you know what I've discovered? I'm most vulnerable to temptation, to things like envy or fear creeping into my mind when I'm not about doing my heavenly father's business. When I'm sitting around vegetating, doing mindless activities, activities that sow to my flesh rather than to my spirit. On the other hand, when I'm abiding in the Lord, I'm reading his word, I'm sharing my heart with him in prayer, I'm reading a good book, I'm meeting with family, friends, or people in need, I'm serving or I'm reaching out to others or I'm working out or I'm playing a sport or I'm, I'm working in the yard. I'm amazed how little I'm vulnerable to temptation. In Galatians 5.13 it says, you were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. In other words, Paul's saying, you have a choice. You can devote your free time to serving yourself, chasing after the good life, spending night after night watching TV and movies and and whatever else sows to the flesh so often. Or you can devote your time being on mission. Serving God and others. You know, I'm convinced the reason that so many Christians describe their Christian life as routine, ritualistic, boring. The reason so many marriages are on life support. The reason so many families are in crisis is because we're not on mission with Christ. I'm not saying it's the only reason. I'm saying it's one of the major reasons, if not the major reason. Perhaps you heard the news story recently of over 400 teens storming a mall in New York City. It was on the day after Christmas, December 26th, after a social media blast invited others to put the mall on tilt. The teens reportedly smashed and stole items and attacked security guards, terrified shoppers and store clerks, and fought among themselves for over two hours. And apparently this kind of behavior is increasing, and and we wonder what's behind all of this senseless, destructive behavior. Well, Dr. James Garbarino of Cornell University, for years now he's been doing research on this particular issue trying to understand why the emerging generation is so empty, so frustrated, so angry inside, often acting out their restlessness in immoral ways or illegal ways. You know what the number one reason his research identified? Spiritual emptiness. You see, they look at our culture and the life of their parents, and by and large, they see materialism, the pursuit of comfort and pleasure. And Dr. Garbarino says, as long as young people believe that lives have no higher purpose, many of them see no point in restraining immoral behavior. I mean, if there's no God, if this life is all that there is, why not party? Francis and Lisa Chan in their book You and Me Forever and I want to encourage all of you to get it and read it. They write, children are more perceptive than many parents think. They can tell if our words are only words. We can say all day long that we love Jesus but they see where our time and our resources go. They aren't blind To what our passions and our affections really are. Kids know when we fake it. Maybe you'll spend years thinking you fooled your kids, but it's only a matter of time when they see it. After all, says Chan, don't you know the truth about your parents? I mean, think about it. When you became a young adult, weren't you able to look back on the relationship of your parents and know the truth? You knew whether their love for each other was real, whether it was actually deep, or whether it was just the show. You knew, and you now know, whether their faith was a religious duty, a thing they just did on a weekend, or whether it was the source of life. Francis writes, I speak with many young adults. And those who are on mission with Christ are fighting resentment toward parents who lived lukewarm lives. Parents who idolized their kids, who gave their kids everything, expecting to get their praise and their affection, and often now are receiving the opposite. Sadly, statistics show that kids who grew up in nice, comfortable, church going homes, where family and material possessions and the good life were idolized, and loving Jesus and serving others were only talked about, once they graduate from high school, the majority will walk away from Jesus and the church. That breaks my heart. It should break all of our hearts. In Matthew 28, Jesus clearly articulated that our mission as his followers is to go and make disciples, to prayerfully, consciously engage in the lives of people that he brings across our path and seeking to introduce them, just even through our example but also through our words to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Our lives should revolve around that command. It should be the center of all that we do. It should be factored into every decision we make in life, where we live, where we spend our money, how we spend our time, everything. In Acts 1.8, it says, And you shall receive power. From the Holy Spirit. And what does it say right after that? And you will be my witnesses. So many times we don't experience that power because we're just not letting other people see Jesus in us. Jesus made it clear we exist to make disciples. Our marriages exist to make disciples. Our families exist to make disciples. The Bible says we're in a spiritual war, a real war with a real enemy that's every much as real as some of the war we hear about in the Middle East. We're in a spiritual war like that. And yet so many Christians in the West live like there is no war, no spiritual war. And again, Chan says, picture a house with a white picket fence and your happy family lounging inside. Now imagine a full-scale war unfolding just a few blocks away. Your friends, your neighbors are fighting for their very lives while you are remodeling your kitchen and hanging your big screen TV. You have contractors installing better windows and drapes so that you can block out all the noise and the commotion. It's a pretty pathetic picture. But you see, it's an appropriate comparison for the lives that so many Christians have chosen. They're ignoring Jesus' mission in hopes of enjoying the good life. But don't fall for it, folks. Real life is found in being on mission. Now, yes, part of the mission is having a healthy marriage and family. Our mission does not call us to neglect our marriage or our family. But our marriages and our families will not be healthy and all that God wants them to be if we idolize them over Jesus and his mission on our life. I mean, what are we saying? Matters most to us as parents and grandparents. When we will spend hours every week driving our children and our grandchildren to and from their sporting events and their lessons, and yet say we're just too busy, we're too tapped out to disciple our children on a consistent basis at home. Too busy to bring them on a consistent basis to church. Too busy to serve in our children's ministry, even for one service. A month. Oh, no, I just can't. Mm. And we have dozens upon dozens upon dozens of children, of parents who don't know Jesus, coming right to our campuses. And we do not have the volunteers to care for them and to reach out to them and love them to Jesus. What are we communicating about what matters in life? I mean, imagine for a moment the day that Jesus returns and your children are standing before him because that day's coming. What will you have wished you had invested in them more to prepare them for that moment and to make their joy complete? more ski weekends, more sports activities, more money and possessions, more stuff. Or passing on your love for the Lord, if it's real. And your passion to know and to worship the Lord, to live all out for him. May whatever will matter to you most then, oh, may it matter most to you now. Now, just a word to all the youth, to the young adults, to all of you who are hoping to get married one day. You know, when my wife and I started dating about 100 years ago, um, like many young couples, we struggled with sexual temptation. But we were committed to honoring God in this area. And, you know, it's not like we were spiritual giants. It wasn't like we're big spiritual heroes. Now, you know what helped us with that? Being on mission together made all the difference while we were dating. Instead of being alone all the time, we invested most of our time serving others ministering in the church with children, with youth, in, in, in the area of worship. And not only did the years just of, the, of dating fly by, but our love and our respect for each other grew leaps and bounds through those years as we saw each other give our lives away in love for other people. All of you who are panicking about finding a mate can I challenge you just to decompress a little bit? Don't make finding a mate an idol. No, you focus on seeking the Lord and let the Lord seek your mate. And if you think... And if you think you found that special someone, then don't make each other or your relationship, or your marriage, your idol. Don't put it above Jesus. No, hold that person with an open hand and give your life first and foremost to King Jesus and His kingdom. And all these other things you're panicking about (laughs) will be added to you. And then a word to those of you who are married. You know, my wife Gwen and I were talking about this the other night, and we agreed that even though we didn't have a perfect marriage and don't have a perfect marriage, overall, man, we've had an amazing marriage. We have few regrets. And yes, there's a number of reasons for that, including the fact that I am such an amazing, loving, sensitive, and humble husband. (laughs) Yeah, right. No, the truth is there are many things we can point to that have contributed to the marriage that we enjoy and, and, and you know, all the stuff that you, you hear about, read about in books on marriage or when you go to marriage uh, seminars and conferences. But as we talked about this, we both agreed that the main reason that our marriage has been and continues to be so rich. The reason our family is close and united is because the primary focus of our life has been, the primary focus of our marriage and our family has been and continues to be to love Jesus and to live all out for him. you know what, I can tell you that our passion for Jesus, for the lost, for his church has not diminished as we've aged. Mm -mm. It's increasing as we grow older. Oh, we take breaks. Lord knows we need them. And there are times we should rest more, but we're more committed than ever to living all out for Jesus. To trusting him, to experiencing the priceless faith adventures He's got laid out for us. We don't just want to finish well. No. We want to finish strong to the glory of God. We're more in love with each other and we're more excited to be alive and engaged in Christ's mission than we've ever been. And you know what? We're not the only ones. I want you to watch this. There are many people here at Center Street Church living on mission. Here are a few of their stories. My name is Greg. My name is Lisa. My name is Joyce. My name is Chantel. And my name is Jeremy. And I'm living on mission in downtown Calgary. And we're living on mission right in our neighborhood. We're just becoming intentional in serving the Lord and serving others and we want to show our children what that looks like and so we've been serving in the children's ministries on the weekend as a family and it's just been such a joy and blessing in our lives. And we're finding that it's giving us courage to speak in other areas of our lives, with our friends and family, about God as well. I live on mission by just simply loving people. I love uh, I love other people's stories, and I love to share their lives, and I I, I want them to be excited about the things that I'm excited about, and uh, which includes uh, my faith, and I may share that at A N W a new Canadian Friendship Centre where I volunteer or with my children and grandchildren, whoever I come in contact with during the day. While we were on our honeymoon, we decided we wanted to be a married couple on mission. And so we decided that we would always be open and available and that our home would always be available for anybody in need. We were living in a basement suite on the outskirts of Forest Lawn and recently we decided to move into a townhouse in the center of where we were doing our outreach. And we also have a green space out the back that means we can just do a barbecue and hang out and the kids in the neighborhood can just come and spend time with us without it being an organized outreach. Yeah, and we also want our doors to just always be open um, and to just be available for the people that are there. Recently I actually just uh, bought a house in uh, Renfrew which is closer to downtown and my roommate and I had an open house um, where we invited our neighbors um, to just share some food together and some good conversations and it's another opportunity to show God's love to others. Living missionally for our family has meant having an open door policy. Having a home that is open to having lots of people to journey life with. It's been great to have lots of people come around our dining room table. Some of them have been strong Christians who have told their stories and other times it's been non-Christians and we've had a chance to show God's love to them. Perhaps the best part has been when we've taken the opportunity to invite people to live with us. Yes, we've been able to help them maybe through a tough spot, but they also uh, help us to see life in a different way and expose things within ourselves that cause us to journey together uh, with God. God gave me a mission to lead a small group in this area he gave me the opportunity to uh, reach out to people, share my, my life, my story with them, and uh, encourage them to uh, also live a life with God around on their side every day. My family and I are living on mission by trying to be the church rather than just going to church. We've made lifestyle changes to be more simple so that we have opportunity and flexibility in our schedule so that we can have people into our home at least once a week. We have also prioritized building community with others so that we can disciple our children together. And teaching and training our children to know and love God has also given us a platform to be able to discuss with others how we're raising our children and why. Uh, One way I live missionally is, even outside of the church, is uh, coaching basketball. I've been coaching kids different ages for 11 years. And during coaching, I try and teach patience and I try and teach good sportsmanship. And I try to show love to these kids. As a family, we've lived missionally since our kids were really little and involved in children's ministries, moved up through youth. We open our home weekly um, to youth, to kids, to families and in our community and schools as well. And it's just a great way to be able to share the love of God with others and I've been given many opportunities to do that. Living on mission has strengthened our marriage because Christ is at the center. Mm -hmm. It's also strengthened our marriage uh, because we have the same goal that we're working towards and we both have to rely on God. It has drawn me closer to God because uh, the people that I meet challenge me in my faith. Now that I've been living on mission I feel that God is more present in my life and I'm able to show more compassion to the people in my life. It's taken the focus off of us and it's making us look outward how can we bless those around us. It's given us a common goal something that we can strive together towards in our marriage and also for God um, which really enriches our relationship. Living a life uh, on a mission uh, makes our family grow stronger. And uh, our faith in God actually uh, become uh, not only stable, but stronger every day. I think it's been amazing. Our kids live a missional life because we did. We do as a family. Uh, They saw us doing that growing up, and they just stepped into it naturally. Well our kids have told us that living our life missionally as a family has caused them to see that Christianity is real. And it actually has brought our family a lot closer together by having this open door policy and inviting other people into our lives. Living on Mission, it's the only way to live a truly full life. Good stuff, right? All right on. Thank you. Now, after watching that video, I can only imagine that some of you may feel some regret right now, wishing perhaps that you'd made different choices or maybe lived your life differently. And now I just have a word for you. You know, I don't care how old you are, how many mistakes you've made. It is never too late to change the trajectory of your life. Francis Chan, he tells the story of a man named Carl who was just counting the days. As soon as his son graduated and went off to college, he planned to leave his wife. As far as he was concerned, the marriage was over. Well, unbeknown to him, his wife was planning the same thing. And unfortunately, their son was the focus of their marriage. They had idolized their son. It was all around him. In the process, their love had died. But then something happened with Carl's wife. She stopped going through the motions of her faith, and she opened up her life completely to God and to his calling in her life. She grew passionate about a particular ministry. She jumped in with both feet. Her passion, her, comp, her commitment, and her zeal was contagious. In fact, so contagious that Carl just found himself wanting to help her. And as he saw her compassion and her heart for God grow, he began to fall in love with her all over again. And in time, he opened up his life to God in a new way. And today, they're not only ministering together, but clearly in love with each other. Imagine the impact that would have on their growing son to see a marriage that was going through the motions suddenly come alive in Jesus Christ. Friends, it is never too late to turn to Jesus and let him change you and the focus of your life. Even if you feel that you blew it, God can still use you to have a spiritual impact on your adult children your grandchildren or others in your life for his glory in fact you know I've talked to parents who have told me that they came back to Jesus after seeing the faith of their parents come alive and real in the senior years it's never too late today is the first day of the rest of your life how will you invest it Ask the Lord, talk to your spouse. Talk to a friend. Talk to one of our pastors about where you can get engaged in Christ's mission. And then take a first step, even a small step. And experience the joy and the thrill of being the hands and feet of Jesus in this life. In the life of a child, in the life of a young person, an adult, the needy, the poor, the disadvantaged. You know, friends, the tragedy in your life and mine is not that we have a bent towards selfishness and sin. The tragedy is is that we get sidetracked into passionately serving counterfeit gods, into pursuing earthly treasures that will greatly disappoint us one day. To walk in the Spirit is to believe at the core of your being that God's way is the only way to go, that the truly good life is found therein. It's to call on him to do in you and through you what you could never do in your own strength. And to have the faith that he will do what he has promised. Walking in the spirit means that Christ is not a part of my life, but he's at the center of my life, the center of my marriage, family, my friendships. It is to have the mind of Christ. It is to live on mission with Christ. To live with the moment by moment dependency on and sensitivity to the promptings of the Holy Spirit through the scriptures and through his whispers it is a lifestyle of surrender imagine what would happen to lives to marriages to families if everyone here were to say Jesus I am completely yours use me to bring your will in heaven to earth Can you imagine the life-changing power of God that would be released not only in our homes and in our church, but in our city? Oh, may it be so. To the glory of God and for the sake of those who need the Jesus that we know and love. Can you say amen to that? Would you stand with me for closing prayer? I'm going to ask you to open your hands heavenward like this just let's close our eyes for a moment and I'm just going to before we, we have you pray silently to the Lord I want you to picture yourself just for a moment standing before Jesus at the moment of your death and looking back on your life on earth just think about that for a moment At that moment, what are you going to cherish? What are you going to celebrate? At that moment, what are you going to regret? In light of all that, what changes is the Holy Spirit calling on you to make starting today. Just talk to the Lord about that right now. to bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.